are listening to audio from Emmanuel Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more resources like this one, go to EmmanuelBirmingham.com. Good morning, church. Happy Easter. Give me just a moment. I'm going to raise this up. If I can, just stay down. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 4 this morning. I'll just have to glance low. Um, sometimes at our church, uh, we use what's called a catechism. Uh, maybe you're familiar with this term, but a catechism is uh, it's, a, it's a discipleship tool that uses a series of questions and answers to teach learners about a particular topic. And one of, one of the catechisms that we sometimes use at our church is the Heidelberg Catechism. Um, it's titled that because it originated out of Heidelberg, Germany in the year uh, 1563. And, and this catechism famously begins with this question. And I want this question to frame our time this morning. The question is this. What is your only comfort in life and in death? What is your only comfort in life and in death? And this catechism answers that question, but before we get to the answer this morning, I want us, I want us to spend a few minutes together considering that question. I recently came across, uh, it was a 2019 article that was published in The Guardian, and the title of the article was this, Doubting Death. How our brains shield us from mortal truth. And according to this article, researchers have discovered that our brains are hardwired to shield us from the fear of death. They, they performed a study, and what they found through this study was that when an individual was presented with an image or presented with words that directly associated that person with their own death, their brain actually recoiled against that information. That the brain pushes back against a personal association with death. That the brain recategorizes that information and associates it with someone else. In other words, what we tend to do as humans is we, we tend to see death as an unfortunate event, an unfortunate reality that only happens to other people. One researcher that was interviewed for the article pointed out that in, in our modern society, we have, we have relegated death and dying to hospitals and nursing homes and hospice care so that we rarely ever personally are confronted with death. He called our society death-phobic. Another, another person interviewed in this article, a psychologist from the University of Kent, uh, suggested that in our modern societies, what we do is we have embraced what he calls the escape treadmill. He says we, we work hard and then we go to bars and we check our mobile phones and we buy more stuff. We constantly fill our lives with more and more ways to busy ourselves so that we don't have to worry about death. We are busying ourselves to suppress and ignore the reality of our mortality. 
But church, here's the truth. No matter how hard we try to avoid thinking about it, no matter how much we want to disassociate ourselves from it and relegate that to other people, the reality is that the grave is coming for every single one of us. Death will come for us all. It is an unavoidable destination for every single person here today. I think the past year has likely woken us up a little bit to this reality. COVID-19 invaded our world. And all of us have been directly affected by this virus. We all likely know someone who has died from this virus. We at least know someone who has had a relative or a friend die from this virus. As of yesterday, 2.84 million people globally have died either directly or from complications due to COVID-19. In our own nation, 554,000 people have died. This pandemic has forced us to face death, to acknowledge our frailty, our vulnerability. All of us are susceptible Unrelated to COVID, my granddaddy was recently put on hospice. I had the opportunity with one of my sons to travel to Mississippi on Friday, and I spent Friday evening and part of yesterday with, with my granddaddy. His time is extremely short due to cancer that is eating his body alive. And I went and I sat with him for a little while yesterday, and I read scripture to him, and seeing him there withered away, face sunken in, I couldn't avoid the reality. His time is near. And in the grand scheme of things, so is mine. Author Anne Lamott reminds us, a hundred years from now, all new people. Think about that. In 100 years, there will be all new people on the earth. Death is an unavoidable destination for us all, which drives us to a consideration. A universal consideration, something that all of us should consider, which is this. What is your hope in death? What is your hope in death? In a letter to the church... At Thessalonica, which Hoffa just read for us, the Apostle Paul addresses this question of death. There were some that belonged to the church in Thessalonica who had, to use Paul's language, fallen asleep. It was a way of referring to death. And naturally, the church, the Thessalonian believers, they experienced grief over the, the loss of their loved ones. They, they mourned the death of their friends, of their family members, of, of their church members who had died. In fact, it would be strange if we felt no sadness over death. Because death is not normal. It is right. It is right for us to grieve and to mourn and to feel sorrow. But the Apostle Paul writes this letter to this church of the Thessalonians, and, and, and he says, it's okay to grieve, but I don't want you to grieve without hope. I don't want you to despair of death. 
Paul is concerned that these believers have hope in death. And so he writes to them and he says, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be ignorant of this truth. I don't want you to be uninformed of this reality concerning those who are asleep, those who have passed away, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. Paul says the believer has hope in death. I have a good friend who recently attended the funeral of a young boy. The parents of, of this boy were not religious, but they wanted some way of memorializing his life. They wanted some way to, to bring dignity to his life. And so they asked a Unitarian Universalist minister to perform the ceremony. My friend tells me that it was the saddest funeral he had ever been to because the best that the minister could muster up to these grieving parents was that science tells us that energy is neither created nor destroyed. So, that, so in this boy's passing, his energy was still somehow with us. Church, can I tell you that there's no hope? There's no hope in that. There's absolutely no hope in that kind of message, in that kind of reasoning. There's only grief. There's only despair. But the Christian perspective of death is very different. The gospel offers us a unique solution to our dilemma of death. Paul writes to these Thessalonians, and in verse 14, he tells them, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Paul reminds this group of believers, a central tenet of their faith, which is that Christ has come and he has lived and he has died and he has risen again. The eternal son of God willingly came to earth and he entered into our humanity. Jesus taught and interpreted the scriptures. He performed many signs and miracles to demonstrate his unique authority. And yet he was nonetheless maligned and hated by the religious leaders. He was falsely accused and condemned and sentenced to die on a cross. And even though he didn't do anything wrong, Jesus suffered according to the definite plan of God so that he could pay the penalty for your sin and for my sin in the place of sinners on that cross on a Friday. The story doesn't end there. Jesus died on a Friday afternoon at the hands of professional executioners. They placed him in the tomb of a silent admirer of, of Jesus, a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. They put him in that tomb. And many people saw him placed in that tomb, but we know what happens, don't we? Early on a Sunday morning, some women, some followers of Jesus, they went, they went to the tomb. They were going to finish preparing Jesus' body for burial. They were cut short of, of doing uh, finishing the, the proper burial um, techniques for, for, for Jesus' body because of, because of Sabbath. And so they went on Sunday morning to complete the process. But when they arrived, yes, they discovered that the, the stone had been rolled away and the tomb was empty. And so they ran back to the disciples and they said, you're not going to believe what's happened. Jesus' body is missing. And so Peter and John raced back to the tomb. I love this little detail that John gives us. He beat Peter there. <laughs> but Peter was the one that walked inside. And you know what he found? He found some burial clothes, but he didn't find a body. 
And later that day, as the disciples, confounded and confused and scared, were all gathered together, perplexed and fearful, suddenly we're told that Jesus appeared to them. And he showed them his hands. And he showed them his side. And he reminded them of his prediction that he would be handed over and crucified and buried, but that he would rise again. And over the next 40 days, Jesus appeared to many different people in many different places. We're told 500 people at one point in time. And in our text, Paul summarizes all of that just by saying that Jesus died and he rose again. And this, by the way, is what distinguishes the Christian faith. It's what distinguishes our religion from every other religion in the world. So you can travel to Kushinagar, India, where Buddha was cremated. And, and what you'll find there is, is a stupa that was erected over the site where some of Buddha's ashes were, were spread. Or you can go to the Green Dome in Medina, Saudi Arabia, and see the spot where Muhammad still lies buried. To put it as one Christian rapper puts it, Buddha is dead. Muhammad is dead. Gandhi and Haile Selassie are dead. Elijah Muhammad is dead. However, Jesus is alive. And if you go to the Holy Land and travel to the garden tomb where Jesus' body was placed, what you'll find is an empty cave. And this is the reason why this day is so significant. It's the reason why Easter is so significant. It's because Christianity is distinguished from every other faith. It's the reason why we have hope. Because we believe that Jesus was resurrected from the grave. And this not only proves that he was who he said he was, that he was the Son of God. It means something else. It means that Jesus' resurrection is a pattern of what will happen to everyone who is united to Jesus by faith. Paul says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. In other words, just as Jesus rose again, so too will everyone who believes in him. Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from death. Saved from hell. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, though he dies, yet so will he live. Through faith in Jesus, death is not the end. And this leads us to the last thing that I want us to notice from these verses this morning. Paul assures this group of believers, not only of life after death, but of a glorious day coming when Jesus will return to consummate his eternal kingdom. Part of the confusion, it seems, that was happening with these Thessalonian believers was that they, they, they expected Jesus to return quickly. They thought the kingdom was going to come real quick. But some time had passed. Some people had died. And they began to lose some hope. They began to wonder what was going on. Jesus, where are you? This isn't happening the way that we expected. 
And so Paul writes to them, in essence, to say, don't lose hope. Jesus is coming again. You have not believed in vain. And maybe that's where you find yourself this morning. Wondering if you have believed in hope or in vain. Wondering if the gospel is really true. Wondering why the delay is so long. It's been 2,000 years. And there's so much brokenness in our world. And maybe you find yourself asking if the resurrection is true. Why is there still so much sin and so much turmoil? Jesus, why don't you come back already? We're reminded in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 that the Lord is not slow as we might consider slowness. But he is patient. Not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The reason for the delay is because God is not done bringing hope to the hopeless. The reason for the delay is because God is not done bringing sons and daughters into the family. The reason for the delay is because if God were to instantly uh, come back and do away with all sin and all brokenness, that would include people. He's patiently delaying so that more can trust in his son, Jesus. But make no mistake, Paul says, a day will come. A day will come when God says it's time. Paul says the Lord himself will descend from heaven and the dead in Christ will rise. What that means is that the, the bodies of those who have passed away will rise to rejoin their souls. Those who were in graves, their bodies will rise from the tombs. Those even who were cremated, their ashes will come together and join their souls in the air. And then Paul says, those of us who are still alive at the return of Christ will be caught up together with them in the air and we will meet the Lord in the air. The picture that Paul paints of this day is of a coronation ceremony. The king is coming to inherit his kingdom. The trumpets are going to blow. The angels are going to shout. They're going to announce that the king has arrived. They're going to unroll the long red carpet. And we're going to catch up with Jesus in the air. And we're going to stand on either side of that carpet. And we are going to parade his coming. And we're going to bring him into his kingdom. And in that moment... The world will be wiped clean of all sin. The world will be wiped clean of all brokenness. There will be no possibility of another pandemic. The new heavens and the new earth will, will, the new heavens will descend down to earth. And King Jesus will inherit his kingdom. It's going to be epic. It's going to be amazing. You don't want to miss that day. The Apostle John was given a glimpse of that coming day. He describes it this way in the book of Revelation. He says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of, out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them, and they will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief 
crying and pain will be no more because the previous things will have passed away. Then the one who is seated on the throne, that's Jesus. He declared, behold, I am making all things new. Paul finishes this way. He says, and so we will always be with the Lord. Friends, this is the hope that we celebrate on this day, that Christ has come, that Christ has died, that Christ has risen, and that Christ will come again. And the Apostle Paul concludes this portion of his letter by telling the church, therefore, encourage each other with these words. Encourage each other with these words. With the hope of the resurrection. With the hope that we have in death. That's why we've gathered this morning to encourage one another. To hear the truth sung on each other's lips. We began this time with the question. What is your only comfort in life and death? This is how the Heidelberg Confession answers that question. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. It goes on to say, because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life. It makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Through faith in Christ, here's the good news of the gospel. Through faith in Jesus, you can be assured of eternal life. You can have the assurance of eternal life. And right now, you can surrender yourself to him. Eternal life is not just hope and death. It's the presence and power of Jesus right now in you and for you. This very moment. What is your hope and death? May it be that you belong body and soul in life and in death to Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, this season has reminded us that life is but a vapor, that our days are fleeting, that we are like grass. But Lord, though we face the reality of death, we do not have to fear. God, help us to know that because of your son, Jesus, because he died and rose again, we do not have to despair of death. We are not those who grieve without hope. The tomb is empty and so are death's threats. We have the hope of eternal life. We have the promise of a coming kingdom. Just as Jesus was raised from the dead, so shall we who are in Christ. And one day we will reign with King Jesus in a new heavens and a new earth. And so, Father, help us to live each day in light of the promise of eternal life. Holy Spirit, would you fill us and would you send us to go tell others of the hope that we have? 
in Jesus. May we live each day in light of his soon return. Help us to make the most of the short time that we have, God. Hoping in Jesus each step along the way. We pray this in his strong name. Amen. Church. To learn more about Emmanuel or to give, go to Emmanuel with an I, Birmingham.com. You can also follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Emmanuel Birmingham.